0: Uh, we're going to read the Bible now, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. I'll give you a second, it's, um, I know it's written on the screen and everything, but it's so good if you've got it with you in your Bible, uh, or on your phone, or app, or whatever you do. Um, it's helpful. You'll remember last week we, we, were, um, we were, were talking about the Corinthians, and we said that, uh, Um, how uh, not right, they were worldly thinking. And a sign of their worldly thinking was uh, how they broke into camps so easily and followed people instead of following Christ. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded, according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for, uh, for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know? That you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple.
1: Thank you, Rami. Please do have God's Word open in front of you still. This is the passage that we're going to trek through today, tonight, now, uh, together. Before we do, I'm going to pray. Our good and our gracious God, uh, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the way it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. We thank you we have your Holy Spirit. Uh, We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray tonight for those that are in the room, across the screen, that you help us to engage with the thing that you are trying to teach us. I pray that you speak clearly through me, and that the words that I say will be truthful and faithful to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had anything that you have needed to get recalibrated? Something that you've needed? It's it's working okay, but like something about it's a bit off, not working. Maybe something with your car, or maybe something you would Maybe you still use a compass while you're going, no one does that. But if you did, you would want that calibrated, right? I've got a Fitbit, and at the moment I'm not wearing it because it is in severe need of some recalibration. For whatever reason, it's decided that it's telling me a different time. It doesn't connect with my phone. It's very annoying, right? It needs some recalibration. It looks like it's working, but it's very off. And if we have something that needs that kind of work to it, it needs to be realigned back to its original purpose, then it's very important that we get it recalibrated. Otherwise, it's going to be very unhelpful. In fact, it's going to be telling us the wrong thing, the wrong way to go about something. Now, tonight, we're exploring what it looks like to recalibrate our understanding and our practice of church leadership, of what it looks like to be a leader uh, in the Christian space, how we should understand and practice church leadership. Now as we've been trekking through this letter of 1 Corinthians, we know that Paul has been addressing a bunch of uh, issues, but primarily he's been calling them back to be distinctly Christian in an un-Christian culture. That's what we've been exploring week after week in different kind of uh, ways. And we remember back kind of the beginning, the, the central surface issue is that they're divided amongst their leaders. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. They're divided over their leaders. And Paul is gone about trying to address that, how to fix that problem. But he hasn't gone straight to the issue. His first thing to do was to give them the solution. He gave them the solution to that problem. Cast your eye back to Jesus, back to the gospel, back to the crucified Christ. Uh, that is the ultimate solution. Then he started to address their, their root problem which was their misunderstanding about wisdom. They were looking at it from the world. They weren't understanding it comes from God through his Holy Spirit. And Paul addressed that. And then now he gets to the actual issue, that physical, visible issue, which is uh, on the surface and something that definitely needs to be addressed. He wants to recalibrate their understanding of leadership. Now, that's something we certainly need today. Myself, us, the Christian Western Church Uh, just as much today as it was back in Corinth. Um, And so that's our direction tonight, recalibrating our understanding of leadership. The approach, though, that I want to take is a little bit different to how I might usually preach or how we usually go through uh, the passage, ever so slightly different. We're going to look at it in three different ways, kind of do three passes as we go through it. We're going to go through the first one uh, looking at uh, how we should follow our leaders. So kind of asking the question, how should we follow and view our leaders? Then we'll look at it again through the eyes of being a leader. How should we lead as leaders within God's church? And then we'll go through it again, looking at how we should see God's role and position in the church. So as a follower, as a leader, and then seeing it from God's perspective. That's the trajectory that we're going. Are with me? Good to go? Okay. First one. As a follower, how should we view view our leaders uh, as people of the church, as a follower? So have a look with me, uh, verse 5, from the beginning. After all, what is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, only servants, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to its task. Leaders are servants, plain, simple. They're not superheroes. They're not slaves. They're servants. Um, God's appointed them to the role. Now, when you think about the nature of a servant, and I know that's kind of lost its meaning a bit for us 2,000 years later, maybe think of it as an employee. It's not the best translation, but someone who's doing work for for someone else uh, is perhaps more helpful. They're not owners, right? Servants, employees, they're not owners, of something. They're doing the role that someone else has called them to do. And that's how we are to think of church leaders. We don't own the church. We don't own you. I don't. Ange doesn't. Dave doesn't. Lachlan. Robin. The leaders that have been appointed here in that kind of pastoral sense are not the owners. We are servants of, of the church. A servant particularly of God who has an appointed us and you have called us to be servants uh, and serve the church. Now that goes for also all sorts of layers of leadership. And that means for, for leaders, like, don't worship the leader. Like, don't think things rise and fall on a, on a leader, whether it's pastoral, in a youth ministry sense, in a connect team sense, whatever, whatever it may be. Having a leader is necessary, of course, God has said that, but it's not a magic pill. It's not a, a, a quick fix. It's not someone to, like, make the brand of the church leaders are servants they're not superheroes but also extension out of that because leaders are appointed by God of course we should respect them and i know that kind of sounds self-serving i'm not trying to be self-serving uh, this is what God is calling us to do i have people that i follow because it's God's good wise it's right his right intention his design to have leaders in his church to serve him to serve us, to serve his people for the good of the church and particularly the glory of his name. So don't worship leaders, but respect them because God has appointed them to be in that position. The second aspect uh, that we see as then we go through, if you look through verses six and nine, is that leaders are co-workers together. Right? Leaders, they're not in competition we're not in competition amongst each other. We're not in competition with other churches or people who have come before or come after. Uh, we are co-workers. So have a look. I, this is Paul, we're looking in verse 6. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God who makes things grow. Now that's a, such a helpful, humbling reminder as, as a leader, isn't it? Now, what Paul is saying here is that, this is that he planted, being that he was the one who started the church. He preached the gospel. He helped the people come to believe, know who Jesus was, cultivated the beginning of the church. Right? But then Apollos has come in afterwards. Now, Apollos doesn't have a bad reputation in the letter at all. Paul is quite affirming of Apollos. What he's done is he's come in after Paul as a leader and continued to grow the church, to help them. The watering is like to nourish them, to help them uh, to grow. Paul and Apollos have different roles. They have different functions at different times, but they have the same purpose. They have the same purpose. Now, it's kind of obvious when you think about a plant and watering, right? If you think about your garden, if you plant a seed, if there's no water on it, it's not going to grow, right? It's kind of obvious. If you start watering the ground with no seed in it, you're just making mud, right? It's not going to do anything. The natural, obvious thing is that. Uh, leaders are complementary they work uh, together and that means don't expect a leader no matter where they find themselves to do it all a leader cannot do everything and different leaders have different roles at different times for different uh, functions but all with the same purpose Paul is not better than Apollos Apollos is not better than Paul they're just different And it also means that for the Corinthians, don't go around comparing them. Don't compare Paul and Apollos. And for us, don't compare the leaders that are are amongst us. They're different people with different functions. So what does this mean for us in that kind of first pass? And as you look at the, the next aspect, we'll see other aspects to be how we can be followers. But this means we need to follow our leaders well. Not as, ser- as servants who are humbly laboring together. Don't worship them. Don't negatively compare them. They all have different roles. Don't divide over your leaders. That's following your leaders well. Now let's turn our attention to the next perspective. What it looks like to be a leader. We're asking the question, how should a leader lead? How is this passage recalibrating our understanding of being a leader? Now, to be clear, of course, this is speaking to myself, and I've done a lot of reflection as I've thought about this passage and, and reflected on it for pastoral leaders as well. But if you're in any aspect of Christian leadership, you're in youth ministry, you're in connect team, you're in the worship team, you're a deacon, you're serving out in the back in some way, shape, or form, in some way you're in a ministry, then there's elements of this which apply to, to us. And we want everybody to be serving in ministry in one way, shape, or form. Now, Paul gives two analogies for us to understand. Leaders as farmers and leaders as builders. Now, I'm going to read the first part again, which is leaders as a farmer. This time, think about it from the perspective of being a leader. What is being required of them? Verse 5. What is Paul? Sorry, after all, what is Apollos? What's Paul? You're only a servant through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's Building. Now obviously the the followers, the people in the church need to see the leaders as servants. So if you're a leader, you're a servant. Be a servant. Serve God and serve others. Now the detail of this being a servant is actually unpacked heaps throughout the next chapter and a half of one Corinthians. So I'm going to leave the most of it to what Paul actually has to say about the nature of that in the coming weeks. But one thing to draw out of here, which uh, screamed out to me and to other people who write things, is that to be a servant leader is to be humble, to always be humble. At every level, layer, role, function of leadership, we are called to be humble, to put others above ourselves, to look to the needs of others, to not be prideful. And of course, the perfect, the, the ultimate illustration of that is Jesus, Jesus. He is the perfect example of a person who is humble, stepping down from heaven out of his glory to take on the nature of a servant, to become human and then die on the cross. His purpose was to bring us, to bring his church, back into relationship with God. He is a humble servant. As a leader within the church, we are called to do the same. Humble in service of others. Now, the second aspect about the farm analogy is that leaders are called to work together, and to work together with a common purpose. Said at verses six and seven, uh, but especially verses eight and nine. Right, the one who plants and the one who waters—they uh, do their thing, but it's complementary. Right, they are co-workers in God's service. Right, don't do it alone, and don't think that you're doing it alone. That we are doing it alone. The church doesn't rise and fall on a leader. We're definitely called to labor, we're called to contribute, Uh, but the building of the local church and global as well is is not one person, it's it's the whole leadership and the whole ministry of the church. We all have our limits. Now, of course, in some way that sounds a bit obvious, yeah, we have our limits, There's, there's lots of people that do the work. But we can easily fall into the trap of thinking that we are the most important, or thinking that something rises and falls on our shoulders. Uh, we can feel a li- indispensable. Or on the flip side of that, if something doesn't go well, we can feel like a failure. In either, if we don't see the fruit. Sometimes, friends, it's the next group of people that see the fruit come along. Sometimes it's someone else in your team that sees some of the fruit happen, and that's a beautiful thing. You've contributed to that process. Uh, and that's God's work at play. So a leader is a person who, servant, hum, who serves humbly. Work hard, labor hard. Right? That's Christian leadership, at least as a farmer. The next analogy is leader as builders. Right? Now, I came from a building background in construction, so I particularly enjoy this one the most. But we're thinking about leaders as like in a, in a construction team laborer, like a bricky laborer, particularly like an architect. For Deb, architecton is the Greek word here. So architect is on on display. Also project managers, right? Leaders doing construction project, which is the church of God. Now have a look with me, verse 10 and 11. Paul's talking here. By the grace of God given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. From this analogy about uh, builders, and as we'll see in the next couple of verses, uh, we can draw out three implications. Now, the first one is the most obvious and clear, is that we build on the foundation of Christ. As leaders lead, whatever aspect of things that we are doing, no matter what it is, It builds on the foundation of Christ. We don't find something more that we think is attractive or something that is different. No, it's on the gospel, extending out of the death and resurrection of Jesus that brings forgiveness and life in Christ, the kingdom of God coming into the world. If we build our ministry on anything other than that, it's got nothing to do with the church. We might say it's got to do with the church, but that's not the church. Now, I think a person that does this actually very well is our servant leader, Ange. Sometimes it can be a bit frustrating that we don't try out the next new whiz bang thing that's going on, but he is someone who has led us consistently on the main thing. He keeps the main thing the main thing, which is the gospel. Of course, he's not perfect, but the gospel is central. And that is a good, that's a wonderful thing. Now, that's the first element, right? A leader must lead and labor on top of the gospel of Christ. Every leader builds on that foundation. But then as Paul goes on, we see that building on that foundation is right. That's the right place to build. But how you build on top of that foundation is very important. Read on with me verses 12 to 15. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hail, or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though as one through the flames. Now, there's a lot going on here in these kind of verses. Uh, let me draw out what it happens at the beginning. Build, leaders can build with imperishable things or perishable things. Things that go up in flames or things that don't go up in flames. When you have a look at verse 12, there were six materials, but there's two types. Gold, silver, and costly stones, uh, they are the imperishable things. In fact, when you put fire to gold, right, it refines it makes it, it better. Right? The second set... Wood, straw, and hay—like they're obviously flammable. Light up with fire; they're perishable things. In other words, leaders, are you building with things that are gonna last, or is it quick, simple, maybe flashy things but fade away? Like a classic illustration of that is the um, the three little pigs. Right? There yeah, three little pigs, and one builds with hay, one builds with sticks. The big bad wolf blows the house down, but then they go to the one that's built with bricks, right? Because he spent time, endured, used the right materials uh, and it survived. That's what we need to be as leaders, focused on the things that will endure. Now, what's that look like in reality? To start with the imperishable things, the, the wood, the hay, the straw, they are things which rely on human ingenuity, Things that are just purely, in a sense, about human effort. To make things just about uh, the, the particular person or the church or whatever, that doesn't have things to do with God. Now, the way that we can subtly make this happen is when we focus too much, say, on the program, or too much on amazing music, or a super engaging sermon, the trivia nights, the games we prepare at youth group. Like all super, necessary, good things that we do. But if that's what we think ministry is about, if that becomes the most important thing, and if one of those things failed, then it failed, then we've missed it. That is not what, they are not the things that will last. They might draw people in, they might give us a good time, which is helpful. But if the focus isn't about what we can achieve on our effort, on us making look good in something, that's just going to fade away. Now, the comparison to that is building with the imperishable materials. Those things are about relying on the power of God. Now, it's no secret what those things are. That's prayer. Being prayerful in every and all aspects of our leadership and ministry. It's about that consistent and compelling, clear proclamation of the gospel of God. It's the demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. Right, when we labor with those things, and like you want to stick close to the analogy of the gold and silver and bronze, like those things take time. Like you've got to invest, like you're putting like your your right effort and energy into the right things. It's into the stuff that will last. And if God chooses, those are the things that are gonna ultimately bear fruit in another person's life. Now, as the passage went on and it started talking about how that would happen. All these flames and all sorts of being things being revealed. Now, some people have spoken about this uh, being purgatory. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with purgatory at all. What is clear here is God is evaluating the work of the leaders. On the day of Christ, when Jesus comes again, in some way, the work of the leaders is going to be revealed for what it is. Because is the church is it legitimate? Is it going to last? Or is it gone? Uh, does it fade away? Was their ministry built with imperishable things or perishable? Now, the leaders who are building with the rubbish stuff, they don't lose their salvation. It's kind of like, you know, getting with the skin of your teeth kind of idea. But it's that purpose that what we build with, how we lead uh, is important. Now, Paul gets actually a little bit harsher than that. He gets to a more serious level. And he gives a strong and direct, clear warning to some leaders and to individuals, to the church. He says, do not. Do not destroy God's church. Verse 16. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, And you together are that temple. Now, if you remember back, the context of what we're talking about is uh, leaders as builders. right? This is not a picture of a leader as a builder. This is a picture of a leader as a saboteur, someone who is destroying the church. It's not talking about persecution from the outside. Sure, that's a reality. But here, Paul is talking about those from within. The leader, people in the church who are causing destructive behavior. Dividing, destroying the church. Now the language is super strong here. Destroy the church, uh, God destroys you. But what is being captured here is we have to understand the deep, the rich, the fierce love that God has for the church, for us, his people. Sometimes right, the church is spoken about as the bride of Christ. Or sometimes the church as the family of God. Like you imagine just on a human perspective, if someone kind of messes with your family. Like, you get kind of enraged in that. Like, I remember my um, eldest daughter, who's a Leah, This is a couple of years ago now. And she was playing in a water, like, table thing outside. Uh, she walked outside, was playing, and then suddenly screamed. And, like, screaming, crying, like, super upset. And we, like, you know, cared for a sure was, She was right. And then I walked outside to check what, was, like, what could have possibly caused that. And there was this wasp in the water. And let me tell you, the rage that built up within me was a bit disproportionate, I must admit. But I had so much rage for this wasp that had hurt my daughter. That's the kind of image that we're to have of our God when he cares for his church. He fiercely loves his church. And to leaders and to all of us here, we are never, ever to go about destroying God's church whether that be through false teaching or creating factions or divisions for our own gain or any form of abusive behavior, whether that be sexual or physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever kind of abuses, we can never go about neglectfully or actively destroying God's church. The warning is pretty clear in this passage. So friends, those are the things that we can learn about from the perspective as a leader. In whatever form of leadership that we take, here at Nawi or at any church, leaders are to be humble servants who work together. And like a builder, we must build the church with care. We build on the foundation that is Christ with things that will endure, things of God, that prayer, that proclamation of the gospel, leaving out the values of the kingdom of God. Uh, And we don't destroy the church. Labor hard, labor for God, Labor for his kingdom and his people. Now that brings us to the third way, the third perspective that we're going to take as we look through the passage. And that's how do we see God's role? All those things were to do with what God has called the leaders to do, what he's appointed them to do. Now let's look at that from God's perspective. We're asking what role and what position does God have? What role does he play within the church? Now, to go back to the beginning of the passage, it was super clear that God was the one who brings the growth. He was the thing that actually made. He was the one who actually made things grow. When you have a look over verses, particularly six uh, and eight, he makes it really clear uh, that God is the one uh, who will make things grow. Six and seven, uh, sorry. Without God, no matter how good the ministry is. No matter how good uh, the preaching is, the programs, the way that we have relationships with others, if God isn't at work, if he doesn't choose to grow things, then things will just remain stagnant. And that would be in his good, wise, right choice. He knows what's best, but that is his prerogative. As leaders and disciples, in all the ways we labor and toil, we never can take the glory. Why? Because God's the one who brings the growth. And the same way, we don't have to think of ourselves as failures either because God is the one who brings the growth. If he chooses to bring growth, we celebrate, we rejoice, we praise God, we enjoy that amongst uh, one another. But if it fails, we just know that it's not God's timing. Now, of course, we need to evaluate how we lead. We need to make sure we're being faithful. We need to make sure we're being effective. Paul was implying that, well, that's a given. Keep doing that. Um, But if the growth The growth is dependent on God. Right now, we, this church has been around for 60 years. God's doing the growth. When you see people come to faith, maybe we're a part of that, but God has brought that growth. When we persevere, when we grow in our faith, when our ministries grow, we're a part of that, but God brings the growth. And that's a. That's a comforting and a humbling and a secure feeling to know that that's the case. The second aspect to draw from the passage, and as we look through verses 10 through to seventeen, and we haven't read before, is that God owns, he orchestrates, and he oversees his church. As you look in verse 5, it's said so that God, he's the one who appointed the leaders. You can, that's God, he's choosing, appointing, putting the leaders uh, in place. In verse 9, it's saying that you are God's field, God's building. The you, that's referring to the church, right? He owns the church. Verse 6 and 17, God's temple, right? He he's owns us. He's amongst us. He dwells with us as the body. This is talking about the corporate body of the church uh, by his spirit. And in the second half, what we read before about looking at through the eyes of a leader is that God, he oversees his church. Uh, he, he ensures that the leaders are held to account. Now, friends, God has a deep, a rich, and a fierce love for us as his people. He deeply desires that as the leaders, in whatever capacity we find ourselves, are living out his values, living like Jesus, the values of the kingdom of God. He desires us to grow. He desires us to be all we could be. And that means he's not some distant God He's not some distant God in some other dimension that has nothing to do with what goes on here. No, he's intimately involved with us. He's intimately involved in our care, our direction, and our growth. That's the role of God. He loves us individually, and he loves us as his people. He loved us enough that he would send his son to call us back to himself, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to make us right with God. And then he loves us enough to continue to remain with us by his Holy Spirit. Even when we stuff up, we do things wrong, not as well as we could have, whatever it may be. He still loves us by remaining with us. We're his bride, we're his family. We are loved and cared for by an almighty God. So brothers and sisters, remember and rejoice in the fact that we are God's and that we are God's temple. And so as we recalibrate our understanding and view of Christian leadership, Let's follow our leaders well wherever we are amongst the church. Leaders, they're not superheroes but they're servants appointed by God and they all have different roles. And let's be leaders who like a farmer, they know their role and they serve hard, they're humble and like a wise builder building on the right foundation with their enduring, imperishable materials. Seeing the kingdom of God seeing the church grow to what God has called us to be, living out the values of prayer, the gospel, the kingdom of God. And then let's always remember to give God the glory in every and all circumstances, because he is the one who brings the growth. No matter how effective, amazing our leaders we are, God brings the growth. And he owns our church, he loves us, he orchestrates, he oversees us. And so friends, let us continue to live out that, All to the glory of God. Let me pray. Our loving God, we thank you that you have an incredible love for us. uh, That You've chosen to be amongst your people by your spirit, that we are called your temple, uh, that you have given us the ultimate example of leadership in the Lord Jesus. We pray for all of us in all forms and levels that we we find ourselves in different roles and functions, that you help us to be leaders that are centered on you, help us to be followers of leaders uh, that you've called us to be. And may you get the glory through all the things that we do. And Father, we do ask that you bring the growth. We ask that you bring more and more people to come to know you, to grow in their relationship with you. Uh, We do ask and lay at your feet every and all the ministries here at Noway Baptist Church and ask that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. It's a great reminder to know that our church is built on a very secure foundation that foundation being Jesus Christ. And this song that we'll sing next is very fitting. And one of the lines is, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And Stand and sing with us.